Hello, innovators, explorers, and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. Today, we are going on a fascinating journey into the world of blockchain, smart contracts, and creating a new language. And we have a special guest with us, Henning Dadrich. He is the creator of Plaxon, a unique programming language to create smart contracts. And in this episode, we are going to explore how Lexon can make smart contracts easier to understand and use. Even if you are not an ex- expert, we will be breaking it down for you. So get ready for a conversation that will open your eyes to the future of blockchain and technology. Let's dive right in and learn all about Lexon with Henning Dadrich. Nothing mentioned in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. And finally, I do not run any ads on this podcast. And it would mean a lot if you can please share this episode on your social media. With that out of the way, let's get into it. So first of all, Henning, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Looking forward to talking with you about smart contracts, coding for Lexon that you're building and so much more. So let's get into it. So first question or first of all, inventing a new language or a programming language is not something that many people do. In fact, you are the first one out of the 200 people that I have interviewed who is doing something like this. So how does one get even started about what inspired you to create Lexon? Yeah, so great question. First of all, thank you so much for having me, Sam. Really excited to have a of a free-floating conversation here, diving into these kind of arcane topics. So I guess inventing a language is really something you have to have very good reasons for. There are a lot of languages out there, and most of yes. them are never being used. I was lucky that very early in my career, I had the opportunity to create a language that was a domain-specific language for the insurance industry. And that actually became a standard for 15 years or so in the insurance industry, which was a pretty long time for language to live that was special made for a certain problem. And back then, I was lucky that I was working in a small startup and the bosses basically had the trust in me when I told them, well, actually, what you want there, that's best served by creating a language for it creating a DSL. And it's always this interesting threshold. A lot of problems you can address if by creating a big form, like you have a lot of input fields and a lot of parameters. But as soon as you come to a point where you realize, wow, now I would like to, for that form to be dynamic, I would like to ask different questions depending on what other questions have been answered in the beginning. That's this point when you realize, okay, now I'm coming into this dynamic where a big form is not going to cut it, where I will start to create a form that's so big and 90% of the fields are always going to be empty because only special fields are going to be filled that, that you start confusing people, right? You have to have some more guidance in the user experience. And that is when the whole thing becomes so dynamic that a domain-specific language makes sense. Right. And I, of course, um, for a programmer, it can be super fun to create a language. So <laughs> you have to have a good reason and you have to get, yeah. you have to have a problem that, that gets past the threshold. And because I had this prior experience when smart contracts became a thing and we were still debating on the talk circuit back then, I was lucky to be one of the speakers in the Koala talk circuits where lawyers around Constance Choi and from a very different were basically educating 
the public and the regulators about what blockchain even is, I, I had access to the lawyers that were in the field and there were very lively debates about what is it even, what is a DAO, right? Is a smart contract smart or is it a contract and so on. And the idea was really like, wouldn't it be awesome if smart contracts were readable to normal people and including for judges? So this idea that you could have a programming language that is human readable, as I call it, right? Like plain text English. Yeah. was super fascinating for me. And I shopped around for a while with this idea. And I was even convinced that somebody was already working on it, probably, but nobody was. And then an equip, it was just somebody said, yeah, well, yeah, that would be awesome, but it's hard. And I thought, no, it's fun. <laughs> so maybe that's on me. And so six years ago, basically, now I started looking into it over Christmas and, and dove deeper and realized, no, that's actually possible. You could do this. And that's how I, I started going on that journey, basically. And I mean, it was really interesting. And the result, I think, also speaks for itself. Oh, yeah, I did. I did have a look at, um, like, some, it does look really interesting. I, I was thinking about that, that how you said about the lawyers and how you started in, in with a language specific for the insurance industry. It's like they... Even the regular law documents, they like write such long sentences that a normal human cannot read and understand. It's like uh, everyone clicks on terms and services and privacy policy. How many people have read it? <laughs> we, people install so many software, so many apps on their phones. No one reads those because they're non-human readable. And for me, I if I would need to, I already get ChatGPT to translate them for me into a normal human language. <laughs> and you can do the same for a solidity smart contract that you can take it and get ChatGPT to translate it into. So why do we need Lexon then? <laughs> yeah, so what you have with Lexon is basically the step after the brainstorming, right? What you have with ChatGPT and Generative AI is basically, it's great at using the whole backlog of what humans have created yeah. and uh, generating something out of that, right? That's why it's called generative AI. And with Exxon, it's really about executing that. And it's really about having access, having transparency and being precise because that's what you want at that point. There should not be any hallucinations anymore or anything. Yes. So as soon as you come to that brainstorming point where you just make the best of what already exists and get creative from there. Then when yeah. it comes to execution and actually really performing the language rather than creating language, that's yeah. when Nexon comes to play. So they're really very complementary. And I can't wait to uh, use generative AI to then help users write Nexon text, but it's exactly what comes before. And then after that's when Nexon comes in, yeah. when it's about making that language magically execute like we know from blockchain smart contracts, unbreakable and, and reliable. Oh, that's fantastic. I have another question. Could you have gone down the, the package like, or extension or that type of a route with an existing language or a library or something like that? Or would that have been too complex? The package would have been too big or would there have been some challenges with that? Yeah, great question. And there have been projects that do exactly that. So the idea there is basically you take a language that is great for extending it and is basically still the language, but you're having something put on top. The thing is that you can still never really get out of the grammar that this language is proposing, right? That is the core yes. grammar of the language. 
And Lexon is really all about using natural grammar. It really starts and looks for the overlap, the intersection of where does what we humans understand in English and in the grammar of English, how can I also use this for expressing higher order logic? And that's really not what other languages are trying to do. It's a very normal step that a new computer language usually has its own grammar. Yes. And uh, the task of the programmer is to learn that, right? And that's exactly yeah. the what it, the value add that a programmer brings to the table, understanding that grammar, understanding how to transport that. And Lexon tries to go one step further towards where we humans are and yeah. filter out higher level logic out of the existing natural grammar. So this is why it's it has really different results. Yeah. And I can understand why smart contracts would make sense because of the use cases, the use case that you have shown. Feel free to share your screen and show how Lexon works because I have some questions in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'll share my screen here. So this is the Lexon compiler and we have an example here where this is basically Lexon code, right? This is a very simple example for an escrow. And it, it has a structure very much like a contract, right? In the yeah. beginning, it has a couple of definitions. And all we know about the payer is at this point, it's a person, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have a recital that's this year. That's usual the usual part in contracts where you basically set up what happens once. And for a programmer, it's pretty obvious this is the uh, constructor. This is what happens yeah. when you initialize, when you deploy the smart contract. And then you have clauses here. And again, for a program, it's obvious these are the functions or procedures. And that, of course, the entry points where you are calling the contract later, where you can, when can something can happen and some trigger, so to say, for a state change happens. Now, in this case, it's basically an idealized type of escrow where you go, okay, so somebody is setting up an escrow, inviting somebody to join it and is assigning who is going to be the person that's the oracle that's going to decide whether something in the real world has happened. So the money should really go forward or the token should really go forward or they should go back to the to the payer. And these are those two clauses here. That's the happy path, that's the payout, where you go, okay, so then at a certain point, the arbitrator decides, okay, whatever happened and it was okay. And now the tokens go forward to the payee, right? And the interesting thing is that uh, I often like to play a, and when I'm giving a contract, I'm live coding this, if you compare this, the clauses are almost the same, right? And the only thing that is really different from payout to payback is, of course, that you have a different receiver here, right? And in the same way, you can extend Lexon contracts where you can just go, okay, I guess I want to go without the fee. Well, you just delete that part, right? Or I guess I want to have a possibility to also have the payer forward the money, but then the payer can get the fee, right? And you could yes. can very easily... Add a, add a clause then here, just copy paste and replace uh, arbiter with payer and, and you're done, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, if I'm compiling sense. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. If I'm compiling this, then what comes out here in this case, this is uh, Sophia, that's the language of the Eternity blockchain. There are yeah. also options for creating Solidity for Ethereum. And what you get here, that's the non-human readable code, right? That only we programmers can read. Yes. Um, that is really translating exactly what you have up here into, into what you can then deploy directly on the blockchain. The compiler has a couple of other examples. This is the most simple example, so to say, we can just burn uh, a tokens. This is an example we can just pay in and, and get it back out. And it, it gets successively more interesting uh, after that. Yep. Fantastic. No, th this is great. 
So I have a question that how, like when a lot of businesses or other startups want to use smart contracts, they want to, they try and get an audit done, which in many cases, it's not that useful, but still it's just, I don't know, maybe it's for the theater of it. <laughs> they want an audit just so that they can have that logo that they had the audit from wherever Certic or wherever it might be, which are also, or open Zeppelin or somewhere, which are again, really expensive as well. What, how do you deal with the whole audit scenario? Yeah, so of course, I, uh, the whole audit scenario has multiple levels uh, for yes. me, so to say. It's great you're bringing this up. At this point, Nexon is officially 0.3. Yeah. You would always, we're using something in production, you want to audit the source code that Nexon produces, right? There's, yes. there's at this point, Nexon makes an error, right? Mm -hmm. So to approach a version Nexon 1.0 uh, or 2.0 even, where we can give a sort of guarantee where we say whatever comes out of Lexon, that you can use that right away. We're still some way off because that is a audit that's even tougher, even deeper than um, what you have to do for a normal smart contract to audit a compiler for uh, yeah. contracts. So at that point, when we can give that guarantee, which is possible because of how Lexon is programming a little bit more orderly than a normal human programmer. Like a certain, there's a certain regularity to what Lexon creates. So in a certain sense, you can reach that level where you can say, Lexon is not only going, giving you that your source code is perfectly human readable, it's also giving you the assurance that your code is correct. So that will be a great benefit at that point where the audits, and as you just alluded to, some of the audits are more valuable, some are less valuable. Yeah. Some audits are just penetration tests. They don't really give you any assurance that what you want to achieve with the program is actually being achieved because exactly you just focus on angles. And Lexon will go much deeper, right? Lexon is then really giving you the possibility to prove because the Lexon compiler at that point will be proven. But that's in the future, right? That's not what we can offer right now, but it's certainly in the cards that this will be a huge value add at some point because if you get to the reality of the business, this is a really important point. How safe is your code, right? Yeah, yeah, That that is, yeah, that's a very interesting point. So in the meantime, you can just partner with a smart contract audit provider and just like people can click a button and get the audit from someone and I'm just the, the human solution, non-scalable, but I can see where it's going towards. My another question is how do you get adoption for a language? Because I, I would like to share this with you and, and with the listeners. And that is that, um, I don't know if you have seen this cartoon where someone came and said that, oh, we have 15 competing standards for this product or for this thing. And then the person say, oh, what we need is something that combines all of them. And it's just that one golden standard that everyone can follow. And then now we have a scenario, we have 16 different standards <laughs> instead of one. So that's just one more added. So it's just, how do we, I don't know, it's like there's more and more new languages all the time. How do you get adoption for it? Yeah. So that's absolutely the central question that we're looking at right now. Yes. And a couple of answers to that. I'm at it now for a long time. So I've repeatedly seen situations where the idea itself catches on really quick. Like it's really easy in a conversation within seconds, almost like depending where somebody comes from to explain what this is all about. And then I think back, for example, on, there was a talk when I was presenting Lexon and in a certain way, the audience was not in a bad way, but they were falling really silent. 
And I was, I sensed that actually they were thinking about where they can use this because it's so new, customers haven't asked them about it. It's not something where somebody has asked them to, oh, I need a solution for this. I need a programming language that's human readable because nobody thinks it's really impossible. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the question that you're pointing is exactly like, how do you create the path to a future that I'm convinced at some point, this is just going to be normal, right? People will not even ask about it anymore. It's just going to be normal to use something like this. But how do we do this at, at this point? And what we're working at this is on the one hand with big projects where we are proposing Lexon as an element, as a central element, which makes a lot of sense in a lot of scenarios where the actual end users of a blockchain project can see what the smart contracts are actually doing and how they're contracting with each other becomes uh, transparent, uh, which takes out a huge threshold. So far, we have not been successful to actually get something like this to launch, even though we spent a lot of time advising and working with this. So, but we keep being at it undaunted and always looking out for a chance where we can actually deploy Lexon and demonstrate in a big project how this really works. In the meantime, we're working on a game where we think it could be really interesting to have Lexon be the tool with which you can define your clan logic basically yeah you have the your game the player the player clan being fleshed out as a DAO because one of the applications that I think would where Lexon is amazing is that you can have a LLC DAO like you can incorporate in Wyoming and you can have a smart contract that is actually the operational agreement and yeah. at the same time it's a smart contract that runs on the blockchain and I think this is the future. This is going to redefine what a firm can be. Is this possible now? That Lexon 0.4, which I'm working out right now, is going to focus on the DAO features of Lexon to make voting and, and features that you want to have in a DAO even, even simpler to implement. But that is also something where we feel like the feedback we need at this point, like the traction that we want to get, get it in front of people and actually using this, that's something we could actually achieve in a game where it's not about anything. Like a game is awesome. It's the sandbox situation per se. It's really taking yes. out a lot of and the fear, whether something is worth investing, worth learning. All this is part of the fair of the game itself. And that is basically the idea that you go and have players be able to contribute little snippets of Lexon, learn Lexon, and then by that, extending the game. Yeah, that's very cool. So... How would the, can you explain the game again? How would the game work? Yeah, so it's a, if it's I a wanna blockchain. Get, yeah, yeah, if I want to get started, if I want to play the game. Yes, so basically you get to a website, you automatically get a wallet. You don't have to do anything that, and then you have a address and account on a blockchain. And we're currently working towards the Eternity blockchain because that's super cheap in transaction mm -hmm. costs. So you can really do microtransactions, which means like you can use the blockchain as a game server, which is something you cannot really do directly with Bitcoin or Ethereum because they're too expensive. Yeah, you yeah. always have some kind of roll-up mechanism. But on Trinity, it's, it's beautiful for us. It's almost a little bit cynical because, of course, they would like <laughs> to be more successful. But at this point, it's just awesome that it's a really robust blockchain. And at the same time, it's uh, something where you can use the blockchain itself as a game server. You, each individual turn is going directly to the blockchain smart contract, which is the game server, mm -hmm. so to say. And then your position is going to be like, I have been working as a game designer in the past for Web2 games. Yeah. And you can really create interesting things within the narrow space and the slowness of blockchains. You can still do, use some tricks that we know as game designers, how you can have procedural formulas where you still have a trillion planets without spawning a trillion planets on the blockchain, because that would be too expensive, even on eternity. Yes. 
can still have a planet that works with a, an approach like they used in the 80s for computer games where they had the yeah. same problem. Users were so slow. And now we can use that for blockchain games. And I think it's going to be a really exciting freewheeling spacefare game, space trading game where you can explore planets, name the planets uh, as you want. And it's always like in the beginning, it's all procedurally created. So it's all there if you go explore it. And then it is written on the blockchain and you can rename it or you can do something, build a station there. And only then it starts to be code that is actually stored on the chain. So that's the principle how we can work within the limits that, that are there and still create a would, huge would universe. Would this be a text-based game or a graphical interface game? It's definitely going to be a graphical interface game, but yeah. we will not be able to compete with the AAA games AAA. now. Oh, no, that's fine. No, <laughs> the thing is right? that it does not have to be high fidelity. It can be a text-based game. There is nothing. There is a genre no, for everything in, in gaming. Not every game has to look the same. That's what I believe. And then that's why people always look for different types of games. And I'm totally thrilled about text gaming. That's exactly where we're starting, basically. Yes. Because... I have to start somewhere exploring what works and how fast it is and everything. So we're yes. really leaning towards that in the moment. The reality of that is that, and I'm, I'm super excited of these types of games. We just today, yes. we were talking about how in adventures, there's so much happening in your head that you don't yes. have to necessarily play out on the screen and the fantasy is so much richer sometimes. Yeah. So in the end, it's the game design, like what can you do? What are the chess moves that, that make sense? Right. This is what a good game is, makes a good game. And so, yes, we are operating within the virtues of text-based games for, for sure. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, because I would like to see a more variation of games, not just AAA-based. And, and that's what did happen is if you look at some of the most successful games that came out of nowhere, Among Us, it doesn't have high-fidelity 3D graphics or anything. And, and it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to say that. Thanks for the inspiration. That's that's a really that's really strengthening my intuition there. We can lean more on the side of using the virtues and not trying too hard to go towards a graphical representation that in the end we're competing with others that are using game servers and that are focused on the awesome graphics. And I love graphics too, right? Yes. But it's a confirmation that uh, you find that interesting. Yeah, it's no, you have to just see like even the games that we have been playing for generations or hundreds or thousands of years. One of that is just the playing cards. It's like you don't have high fidelity graphics and playing cards and still people play all around the world. It is because it is about human interaction. And that's why PvP games always win over long term over PvE games because it's we are social animals humans so we want to do something socially so yeah that's just my thinking yeah. process no I, I think so too i was from the start i was always fascinated with a massively multiplayer architectures right yes and this is the awesome thing with the blockchain i have programmed these things these game servers and there's a lot you get free with the blockchain it's pretty amazing right it is a yeah. massively multiplayer online thing in itself you don't have to add it to it. It has locking, state locking. You cannot overwrite state or so. It, yes. it has different limitations, but there's also so much you get for free. So it's a really interesting journey. Yeah. And a lot, I was looking at a lot of people trade, whether it's stocks, commodities, crypto, everything. It is a massive multiplayer online game. <laughs> that, that is what I feel like. <laughs> the interface is really right. poor. It's just like charts and stuff. But pretty much everyone is trying to game the system and make the most profit. That's the 
criteria unless the criteria is to lose money, which happens in most cases. But it is a game that people play on a real live server <laughs> and these days on chain as well. Right, so, right. That's a that's great a angle. Very, yeah, that's a very interesting yeah. thinking. I have a question about blockchain and crypto and Web3 and all this. When you see it, what's your most contrarian or non-mainstream non view uh, when you think of this space? I'm pretty bullish on that space. And I think that's almost contrarian in the moment if you compare it exactly. to mainstream. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think the trustlessness and, well, of course, I'm working on Lexon for so long because it can really, I think it can really contribute something to the space. And I think the combination of, like, just take this example, right? As I mentioned before, you can have a DAO LLC where the operating agreement is human readable. And at the same time, it is a smart contract that runs on the blockchain, which means it is unbreakable. And yeah. this takes up so much overhead. This is so much more productive. This is so much, so, so much cheaper. And I think this is going to catch on in a while. And it is really going to bring the advantages of what smart contracts can do into mainstream. Yeah. So, and that, that is a point that we haven't really reached yet. And I have been privy to a lot of really serious, well-funded projects, explorations, research into how blockchain technology could be used for for bricks and mortar stuff, really big projects, for example, Tracer, the diamond blockchain for the bears. I, I was the director for blockchain at BCG when we were doing this, or I was also the first architect actually of Hyperledger, which uh, the IBM blockchain, that was a blockchain really focused on making businesses happy, right? Looking at it with a really different angle. But then in the end, there's always the same kind of problems where you run into at a certain point, why it doesn't really happen, Right. And I have been advising the European Union, for example, on a blockchain principles system, how you can just have the information logged online about all the publicly traded companies in the European Union. It was a brilliant idea because the actual problem was political. They couldn't agree what country should have the server for this information system. So they were like, could we do this on the blockchain and everybody can run a node? That's awesome. That's, that's like, it's a great blockchain idea, right? But then in the end, why these things don't catch on? I think it has a lot to do with the intransparency that you have in the end. Like a lot too much is encapsulated in a space where only us dark magicians can look into what it actually is. Yes. We're famously uncontrollable, even by our own middle managers and even less by the customers of the bosses of the middle managers. So this transparency that Lexon brings, that is including so many more people into actually looking at the business logic implementation, I think that can really make a huge difference together with the unbreakability of the smart contracts that you have on the blockchain. Because Lexon can all, also do JavaScript, which yes, is interesting. Yes, I heard that, yes. Academics of computational law, they don't care about blockchain. They just want to have analyzable smart contracts. Lexon can do that too. And that is already yeah. a lot. But if you mix this with the blockchain magic of unbreakable contracts, I think this will really change our economy in a, in a huge way. And right now I have seen in first perspective why these projects don't really succeed yet, but I think they will. And I think what blockchain in different times, it has been famous for different things right now. And we've been through NFTs and, and DeFi and everything. So there will be other waves that are gradually bringing to the awareness of the public what blockchain can do. And they will always have a flavor <laughs> to them that yeah. goes a bit extreme left or right. 
But overall, the education is happening mainstream. Like people know more and more about what you can actually do with it. And the unbreakability of contracts to me is what over time will make the actual difference where people will at some point understand how huge the productivity gain can be from that. Yeah. Very contrary. <laughs> no, that that is very cool. I love it. I love that for me because I work in the industry. <laughs> That's why I like that view that I really caught on to the fact that you said that there will be other ways. I want to talk to you about that. Give me just one minute. My phone was also ringing. I need to just grab it. Just give me one second. Sorry for that. Yeah, so you know how talking about different waves that chain or crypto has had. So I remember the first wave was the whole Bitcoin and I'm really old in this field. I didn't invest in, I didn't buy anything back then because I was also a skeptic early on in the early like 2012. I used to think that oh, this all this is so inconvenient and why would anyone use it and all that. However, over time, then in then came Ethereum and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Smart contracts. It's like programmable currency. It's like, how cool is this? And then another ICO boom. And I was like, oh no, this is too many scammers in the whole ICO boom of 2017, 20. I, I don't know if you remember that. And I'm like, oh, this gives power to even bad people. <laughs> but then came like the, I don't know if you even remember like crypto kitties or crypto cats like and then the first game wow you can build games and have decentralized assets so it's just it has come in so many ways and there was the DeFi summer and there were there's been lots and lots of different ways the whole nft wave and and then there's another i saw a lot of talk of real world assets being tokenized and being distributed to a larger number of people, which is again very exciting, but there is a lot of regulation related issues that will be. There's another trend I saw recently at Token 2049, and that is around insurance. That is going to be really big because there are issues in this space and people's assets are not safe always. So there'll be a new insurance products that will come around this this industry are there any other big trends that you see that are likely to come and open this space up yeah so i think there there is a trend that's already there and i think that a lot of people have been looking for which is a different kind of blockchain again and that's probably one inclination of that is definity where you have a different setup, right? It's it's similar enough. It's still somehow a blockchain, but at the same time, it's giving you the transparency if you program against it because yes. it is all under the metaphor that you're almost like single, you're programming a normal program, right? Yeah. But as I just described, what, all the stuff that you get for free if you program a game server on the blockchain, they're taking that to business applications, right? And that this yeah. would come pretty obvious. When I was working at IBM, we were talking about exactly about this, for example, with the founders of uh, Ethereum, like uh, with Gavin Woods, for example, yes. back then, because IBM was seeing that. 
they saw that. Like, they, my boss at IBM was like, okay, so what's the next thing after the cloud thing? And yeah. they were exploring blockchain because of that, that you yeah. would have obviously have, like Web3 is bringing this web of this dust of money uh, over Web2, which is empowering the Web2 part. This is bringing the same thing over the cloud part, which is basically adding the trustlessness and adding the blockchain features to the cloud feature, to the cloud um, yeah. attributes that you have with cloud. So I think this is something, it's already there. You have it there in Divinity. And it is uh, something that I know people have been looking at for years. And because Divinity, for example, is there now, I think this is something people will realize is is another productivity game they can have that's huge, right? And that. Oh. How you invest in that? Because we were talking about a lot of different token plays that we had, right? This is a different yes. one. I don't know. But at the same time, if you ask me about what's next coming there, what's about a crest, I think this is a part of the technology that's not on everybody's radar yet, but it just makes perfect sense. It's a natural evolution. Yeah. So you mean distributed compute in a way of the blockchain? Absolutely. Yeah. But in a trustless way, distributed computing in a trustless way. But at the same time, yes. you, the metaphor is as if you were programming an application, right? So that's yeah. because they abstract everything away, like a blockchain also does, right? You are never, like in reality, you are on a computer that is super distributed, but you always just think about your smart contract and it has only one single thread through the smart contract. You never think about parallelizing like you do in a normal system. Yeah. Although super distributed so yeah so you have the same thing there on, on the technical level basically that you have a distributed type of computing but you're still just thinking about one thread of your business logic and that's a type of abstraction that has been looked for since a long time also ibm yes worked hard to do this for web servers right. some say they succeeded some people would say they failed making it possible to just think about a single thread and then do all the rest abstracting all the rest away so that's a battle that's going on all the time and i think where blockchain really also has a next step waiting that could happen now. Yeah, that's it's not as concrete as NFTs or crypto kitties, but it's. <laughs> I know, it's I know. That... Yeah, yeah. The one trend that I do see and I have seen it have real impact, and that is stable coins. That, like, one thing uh, I always complain about crypto is that no one will use it in economically because the fluctuations are too high. You cannot run a business and not know what your costs are totally agree. it's yeah. like it's floated on the market and any economy that has fluctuations massively inflationary and massively deflationary currency that economy collapses and we have seen that over and over again deflation is as bad as inflation otherwise no one spends if it's deflationary that you, i used to be a critic of bitcoin because of that in the early that no one will use it for transactions because you don't want to be the joke like that guy who spent $10 million on a pizza. Why not just hold your currency? And then the whole velocity of money stops. The economy shrinks. And that's the thing with deflation. That's why central governments target 1% to 3% inflation. But now stablecoins solve that. And you still have the decentralized way or to a certain extent of sending money. And people are getting paid. Businesses are using stable coins as an underlying layer to transfer value. So Bitcoin has given store of value and stable coins have given transfer of value. And Ethereum, in my opinion, gives programmable value. So there's so many use cases. That's why I'm still in this space that I can see that, yeah, it has a bright future. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, in the Lexon original white paper and original work in the beginning, five 
ago, we already had the structure for a stablecoin because I think this is one of the things. The other is for Lexon, you have to have a way to revert things or exchange yeah. smart contracts. At least the judgment must be able. That's a different topic. That's it's always yes. been there all the time. But stablecoins are as important for business yeah. to really start using this right directly yeah. out of the box. Exactly. We're so interested. Right. So interesting projects there. I was always skeptical of the Black Swan event that, that brings down the algorithmic stable coins. I was really not, we were joking about years ago, like yeah. about how this happened at one point. But now, for example, I don't know if Wyoming is coming out with a stable coin that is 102% backed. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I, I have seen that when there is such massive amounts of money at stake, there will be people who will get tempted if they have the centralized control to exploit that <laughs> because the money is insane in in logged into stable coins it's like current the last bull market about 2 billion like in 2017 18 2 billion dollars was the the market cap of stable coins now it's 120 or 100 plus billion and it's only going to be 10x of that or 20x of that in the next 5 years easily it, it is a multi trillion dollar opportunity like stable coins and there are just like you said about algorithmic stable coins there are all sorts of stable coins that are being explored at the moment stable coins back to commodities stable coins back to xyz real world assets yeah non-inflationary stable coins there's gonna be so much innovation will all of them catch up no will some people run away with people's money it's possibly gonna happen because a lot of them are centralized yes but if you have the state of wyoming issuing a stable coin that's yeah that's I'm, a different that's, 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 when i learned about that i was part of the lawmaking advising group there for wyoming and when they when that started i learned about that it was okay now that's solved yeah before it was like i had to laugh that tether was holding up best but <laughs> It's it's just, if you really want something that also AAA can invest in or so, then yes. it doesn't come better than this, I think, including 102% backing, which is, that's because they have, I think they're going to buy six weeks treasuries. And then within that six weeks, it could just lose a maximum of 1.8% or so. And then that's, the state is backing the rest of the 2%. So they can never, because it's going to hold the treasuries to maturity take them over, like giving that promise to the stable coin issuer. And that's just... Yes. That, that's gold standard then. So then at that point, point, all this colorful history of the stablecoin space, then it's yeah. solved. And they come up with that. So yes, and that's super important to get the space to be acceptable for normal businesses. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. It's So do you think in your point of view that it will only be like state run or some sort of a government run stable coins? Because I, I know there's all sorts of experiments all around the world. And a lot of people do believe that stable coins are the first ways to central bank digital currencies. Would that be the way in future in your, it's so hard to tell the future, but that's how you see it? The short answer is yes and no, because... Stablecoin actually means something that's more stable than fiat, right? That was yeah. that's where the word comes from. So it has a basket of different values. And that of course is inherently not something that is pegged to the dollar or so. Those are pegged coins actually we're talking about. But yeah. we're talking about pegged coin, well, it makes a lot of sense that state players are always going to be the best to issue them, right? Because they are close to the fiat issuance. So in that sense that might well gravitate there. And I think it's fine. On the other hand, I don't, 
I was not as critical about the pure cryptocurrencies because if you don't hold them for a long time, there is a risk of a black swan event just in the wrong moment. So I think yeah. like you're not there that businesses would risk doing a deal that has nothing to do with crypto in crypto just for doing the deal. But yeah. there's also something else you said earlier, just when you said, yeah, the, the user experience wasn't there with cryptocurrencies in the beginning. That was maybe not true because if you ever try to send money across the globe, you realize it can be, if it's for a, yeah. a business or so, it can be really problematic. And that was yeah. always pretty simple with, with cryptocurrency. So there was mm -hmm. this user experience on the bottom line of it was probably pretty good. Although you had to go through some hoops that were just yes. not made at that point yet. But this combination, I think of how the normal cryptos get more acceptable. So you don't necessarily have to have stable coins for everything now, because using something like Bitcoin or Ethereum could be more acceptable now also for mainstream players at some point, because they know the risk, but it's, if you don't hold it for long, it's navigatable. And you mentioned insurances, there might be insurances yeah. or deal found on the other side for the course and so on. Then if we get to a stable, a real stable coin that has a basket behind it, that could be a super valuable thing in the future if fiat keeps experiencing inflation like we're seeing, right? Because then you would love to have a real stable coin that's not pegged to fiat, that is impatient. What I was going to was that, how do you get to something that's not pegged? Because if our economy was pegged to gold, we'd only be so big. The only way we have the whole, like the global economy is so much bigger now, then it's because it's not pegged to gold. Because then it is free to expand. If we're tied to fiat, we can only be as big as fiat. It's like, how do you get, so that's the. No, but that part with gold, that, that gold would hold the economy back. That's, I guess that's one theory to explain things, right? Yeah. I'm just not deciding at that point how that would work in, in, in a different world. Yeah. But I think crypto obviously was created to, Bitcoin was created with the zero block having the New York Times quote from 2008 to be non-inflationary. And of course, despite the huge spikes that we see now in crypto, yes. I think the bottom line might be at some point that crypto will be part of such a basket, right? Yeah. That is the inflationary effects that you see in fiat. It might also have gold, it might also have other assets, right? However, somebody yeah. is going to come forward and is going to construct the basket and say, this is going to be a stable value where the actual word stablecoin comes from. And that is going to be a very valuable proposition if somebody gets this right. Because we all know that inflation is just burning everybody's money. Yeah. Um, and, all around uh, the world. The inflation is everywhere, the whole globe yeah. at the moment. It's, it's not healthy, right? Yeah. Uh, not in not not what we're seeing now. So in that sense, also, this will be very healthy if, if at some point we will have not pegged coin, but stable coins that are, are using a basket. And I think crypto will be part of it. Because it, it, the bottom line is going to be that it can provide a certain stability against, not with the velo velocity you have in a, similar in a single cryptocurrency, but volatility in a single cryptocurrency, but a basket of them or however you, it's going to be worked out. And insurance also in this aspect is going to play a role there. There will be people betting in that, providing liquidity and stability to it. Yeah. So yeah, and crypto well, can do this. because well, that, That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know when's the Wyoming back, like the stable coin out? I think they were, there, there was a very ambitious internal deadline. I don't know at this point um, 
how close they are in, in, in keeping it, but they really wanted to go forward with that. And, and they had, I think they had really everything lined up and how far the implementation is at this point, I don't know, but mm -hmm. I'm, I, I'll be in touch with them. I'll be happy to share it with you when I find out. Oh, fantastic. That's great. And uh, yeah, feel free to connect them to me as well. I'd love to interview them because that's, I think it's a very interesting topic. And I do think that doesn't matter where the adoption comes from, it grows the whole space. That even though NFTs were a blip or maybe an anomaly in this, I don't know, but it, it grew the whole system. It grew the whole space pretty much for everyone. So many more people learned about smart contracts, about ERC 721 a like all sorts of things people learned about. People learned Solidity and Rust and different programming languages. People got their first digital wallet, millions of people around the world and explored the space. So I think whenever there is a new, you can call it an app, I don't know, or a new concept that catches on. Um, and I think same thing will happen with the Bitcoin ETFs that are coming out, which I'm sure it grows the whole space, which is good for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so having said all this, do you have a ask? Uh, is there anything you're looking for? I don't know, people to hire, raising money, anything, feel free to share. All of that. And please come to www.lexon.org. Check out the compiler. Give me feedback about that. That would be awesome. Play around with it a little bit because that's really what every technology has to go through at some point. Getting the feedback from people that have ideas about it that, that I never imagined, right? When we were creating it, you do tests and you are honing it and polishing it, but then somebody comes and takes it and does something with it that you never imagined. So that's something that we can really use at this point. And we will also have our game concept out there at planity.com. That's P-L-E-N-I-T-Y.com. And check it out. Give us your feedback there where, where you want this game concept to go, because that's going to be a really fun journey that is starting at this point. And people who join early will have a say and will shape it. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll put all the links underneath in the description. And best of luck with creating a new language and opening up the space to tens of millions of more people so thank you for that all right sam it was a great pleasure thanks so much and hope to see you again soon likewise likewise thank you thank you so much for tuning in and listening or watching this episode of the web tree with sam kamani podcast by now you know the drill leave a comment or share this episode with a friend and leave a review i would love to hear from you so that's why my dms are open reach out to me especially if you are a founder building a product in web3 then i would love to hear from you what are your challenges is there anything that i can help you or my community can help you with thank you once again and wish you best of luck in building your startup or your project